So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul writes, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So as we begin this morning, digging into this passage and thinking through how do we pray this, let's pray together. Father, we come before you as people who are seeking you. And I know that there are people here in this, in this uh, field that know you and love you and come to you this morning as your children, seeking your face and seeking to worship you and to love you and obey you. I also am very mindful, God, that there are people in this field who are coming here seeking you in a different way, that they don't know you as Father. They're not sure who you are. They don't know what they believe about you, but they are here. Or maybe they're watching online. They are, they are here for whatever reason. They are here in this moment receiving what you have for them. And so, God, I pray that we would submit all things to you. And that you, God, would renew our minds. That you would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, defeat the strongholds that are at play in us, the lies of the enemy that are at play in us. That you would give us a renewed mind, that you'd capture every thought and take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. We pray for you to do these things this morning, God, because only you can do these things today. And we pray it in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so first, before we actually go into how do we pray this, because my guess is that many of you, if you've grown up in the church at all, you've probably used this verse and used this passage um, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And we often use that in a, a way that um, to kind of fight sinful thoughts in our minds. So it's often given to people when they're, when they're um, being tested by um, temptation in, in some kind of area of sin and, and they're battling that and you're, and you're saying, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to think this. I don't want to believe this. I don't want to be swayed by this. And so we will quote this passage and we'll say, okay, you're, you're to take every thought captive, every one and grab it and make it obedient to, to Christ. And, and that is, that is a good way and, and a fine way to apply it. But I want to make sure that we're applying it in, in, the right, in the right way. Because there is a subtle difference and it ends up being an incredibly important difference. And so what I want to do is, is look at what, what is Paul actually saying in this passage? How does it apply to that normal circumstance that we typically would think it applies to? To these thoughts that come into my mind and these temptations that I know that I fight? And then how does it apply actually in... in a, a much broader sense into maybe some things that, that I'm not so aware of. So Paul, in this situation, the setting is, is pretty simple. I'm not going to go into great depth and detail, because like we said in, in this series, we really want to focus on how do we pray these things. And, and so I could go on for an entire sermon just about um, Paul's situation. But, but kind of the Cliff's Notes version of it is that Paul in, in, the, in the church in Corinth is the victim of a smear campaign. And, and the people in, in Corinth are questioning Paul and questioning his authority and questioning his motives. And people are kind of getting in there with worldviews and philosophies that are against the gospel. 
And some of those worldviews and, and thought processes and philosophies are very clearly against the gospel. And some of them are far more subtle. They're far more subtle attacks against the integrity or the foundation of the gospel. And so Paul is dealing with this. And, and unfortunately, many of the church are buying into these lies and buying into this smear campaign against Paul. And Paul's pleading with them to not buy into this propaganda. And he's prepared to battle, though. And he comes to them, and he's asking the church not to make that necessary. He's, he's pleading with them, like, hey, let these words um, be enough to convince you, because I don't want to come heavy-handed when I, when I come and I see you again. And so he's, he's begging that, and, he, and he's, he, he's ready to fight. But his fight is not against flesh and blood. It's really important to understand that when Paul is making these arguments, he doesn't see the people in the church as his enemies. He sees his enemy as Satan and as the powers and the principalities of this world and the, 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 the lies and the worldviews that have crept in that have led the children of God astray. And he doesn't fight with flesh and blood. He doesn't fight with just human reason trying to logically argue the, the, the church into submission. What he does is he wields spiritual weapons that have the power to destroy the strongholds of the evil one. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And he says later, he, he won't apologize for exerting this authority because it's for their good. It's to build them up, not to destroy them. So there is a battle, but understand that what Paul is doing is he's fighting this battle, not with human reason and not with his own mind, but with supernatural spiritual power. And the battle that he's fighting, that he's waging, is not against the people who are slandering him. It's against the worldviews and the philosophies and the lies of the enemy that have crept in. What you, when you think about it, it's kind of this interesting idea that Paul is fighting for their hearts. He's not fighting for his own reputation on his own. He's not fighting um, to, for his own comfort or his own standing. He's fighting for the hearts and the minds of people that he dearly loves. And it's this interesting situation he finds himself that he is fighting to rescue the people who are attacking him. And so what I want us to understand, and when we look at this passage and we start to apply it, we have to be really clear in this idea that the battle that's going on here is not of flesh and blood. It's not just of human reason or willpower or wisdom. We, we are fighting against our actual supernatural strongholds of the enemy. And there is only one who is powerful enough to defeat that. That we will see to be set free from these strongholds of the enemy, we must be captured by the mind of Christ. And so part of doing that is kind of identifying these, these lies and these thoughts and these worldviews that kind of seep in and to destroy it with the word of God. Here's, here's what's different about this. So the way that we often apply this is we say, okay, I have to take this thought captive and I have to destroy it. But that's not what this is saying. It's saying that the Holy Spirit takes hold of it, that the Holy Spirit destroys it, that the word of God destroys those strongholds. 
So what I want to do to, to demonstrate is let's let's take the most common way that we tend to apply this. So in in thoughts that I know are sinful, maybe it's thoughts of, of lust or sexual sin, or it's thoughts of unforgiveness or thoughts of bitterness or vengeance or anger, that whatever it is, but it's a thought that comes into your head that you know is wrong, that you say that that is sin. I don't I don't want to think that. I, I wish I could stop thinking that. And so what I would say from this passage is, is that we are to destroy that with the word of God. Like, see, the, the way that I would learn that in the past is, okay, when that thought comes into my mind, I just say, okay, I'm going to stop thinking that. I need to stop feeling that way. I need to stop being angry. I need to stop being bitter. I need to stop being impatient. I need to stop being lustful. I need to stop thinking about these things. And I know that I've used this illustration before, but it's, it's a fun one. And so I like to use it whenever I can. And so that mindset that we often have done that to, to Christians say, okay, take every thought captive and then defeat it. And we put that onus on the person and say, your job is to defeat it. You have to defeat this. Then we fight with the only tools we have, which is basically we just kind of beat ourselves up and try to obliterate it by just saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. But that would be like this. If I say to you right now, don't think of a pink elephant. Now, some of you remember me doing this before, and now you're like committed. I am not going to think of a pink elephant. And so if I say to you over and over again, no, stop thinking of a pink elephant. Don't think of a pink elephant. If you think of an elephant, any kind of elephant, just don't let it be pink. Whatever it is, like, don't let it be pink. No pink elephants. And you'd sit there, and it's, it's a battle, Right? Like you're, even if you're trying right now very hard and you keep redirecting yourself or distracting yourself, you can't get it out of your mind. See, the thing is you can't take these thoughts captive on your own. You can't destroy them on your own. You don't have the power to do that. It doesn't work. It is only the word of God through the Holy Spirit who destroys those strongholds and those lies behind those thoughts. Because here's the thing, there's always a lie behind these thoughts. There's always something that the enemy is waiting to prowl around and to grab and to get into and to feed with his lies. And we are so quick to believe them. We like, it's, it's like we hardly even fight a battle anymore against them. And so I might have these thoughts because I think there's something that is there that will fulfill me. I become obsessed with, with thinking about this thing that I want to pursue or, or these thoughts that I know are sinful, but I just can't, I can't let them go. Maybe it's, it's thought of, of revenge against someone who has hurt me or my family or bitterness towards them. Or like I said, that lustful thoughts. And so the lie behind that, when I think, okay, if, I could, if this could just happen, then I'd be fine. If they just got what they deserved, or if I could just fulfill this desire, then I would be fine. But the lie behind that is that your God is, is withholding good things from you. Again, we say this all the time, but it's, not, it's nothing new, right? Does your God, did God really say that? Is he really good? Does he really want you to have good things? I mean, if he wanted you to have good things, why would he tell you no to this thing that you, that you so desperately want? And in those cases, it just he can start to lie to you and make you think of God as like this killjoy who's just saying no for the sake of saying no to see if you'll obey him. But that's a lie. 
It's an argument and a worldview that is against the word of God. And it needs to be destroyed, not by our human reason, but by the Holy Spirit through God's word. That we know he withholds nothing good from you. Romans 8.32, he who, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So you have these sinful thoughts, these desires, and thinking, if I just had this, then I would be fine. But they're, they're desires that you know that, 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 that there are lies in there, and that you know, maybe even overtly, that those are wrong desires. And then the response is the Word of God, reminding you of your identity in Christ, that you're not your old self, that, you're not, uh, that, that that is the flesh in you, that you are not that old creation anymore. You're not a slave to that anymore. And so you start to pray, God, would you destroy these strongholds in me? I'm not a slave to this thought. You can destroy these lies. This desire, this has no power over me. It's not who I am. I am not a slave to this. I'm a slave to Christ. I was bought by you, Jesus. I belong to you, Jesus. And you saved me from this and for righteous living. And you're empowering me with the Holy Spirit. And in that process, the word of God takes those thoughts. He he destroys the lies behind those thoughts and takes those thoughts captive and makes them obedient to Christ, replacing them with what is good and honorable. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So that's the subtle difference in, in, in how it works. That yes, we are to identify those thoughts. And yes, we are to look and we are to pray that the, the lies behind those thoughts would be destroyed. But that we don't destroy them in our own power or our own strength. That we beg the Holy Spirit to destroy them. And that he would use the word of God. Because that's what Paul is doing. Paul's saying, I destroy it in his authoritative and his apostolic authority, speaking for God. He's saying that we destroy these strongholds and these arguments. We destroy them, not you. And so when we put ourselves in that place and realize that it's, it's God's word that does the destruction, then we can start to, to trust him in that and submit to him in that and to pray for that. But it's not just about those overt things. So here's where I want to kind of go to the other part of this message. Where it's one thing to, to recognize the things that we know are not godly. But Paul says that we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought. Not just the overtly sinful ones. And this is an important thing, but every thought. Why? Why? Because every thought that we have is an opportunity for the enemy to lie and to get a stronghold. It doesn't matter what, how innocuous the thought may be. The enemy is always looking for an opportunity. And our flesh always wants to believe it and wants to go down that road. And so I, I not only want us to be able to pray this in those situations where we know that we are, are sinful and we know that we are wrong and we know that what we are tempted to do is against God's um, word and against his plan, but also to be on guard to, to fight that battle at a further out point so we don't get to that place. Does that make sense? If you're, you, you're in a situation where you know, we always teach our kids this, when you lie, what happens? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, Right? Like if you just tell the truth, it sheds light on it. And we try to tell our, our kids that. But as adults, we don't follow that same advice. 
We believe little lies in small situations that don't seem very sinful, and we don't take them seriously. But they grow and they grow and they grow, and pretty soon you find yourself in the midst of a clear, heavy battle. And what I want to say is, how can we use this passage? How can we pray this in a way that says, let's fight this battle way out there so that we don't get to this place right here. Let's fight some of those sinful desires that are, when, when, when they start to unearth themselves, we start to notice them so that we don't wait until there's mass destruction. So how can I be on guard and snuff these things out early? Like, how, Do I have to always wait until it's just so clearly sinful and it's so clearly wreaking havoc in my life? No. And here are some things I want us to keep an eye on. And I'm just going to quickly go through these, but I'll, I'll highlight them right now. We want to keep an eye on our desires. Keep an eye on your emotions. Keep an eye on your circumstances. And keep an eye on the culture around you. So our desires. Keep an eye on those desires. Even the ones that seem good and right. Like a clear one for me as a dad, as I'm, I'm, my kids are growing up and they're, you know, I'm thinking about college is I, I, want, I want them to succeed in life. I want them to do well. I want to give them opportunities. And so I've thought about how in the world um, do I, am I going to be, am I going to be able to send them to college? Did you, does anybody know that college is expensive? I just found this out. I was like, oh, I thought it was like what it cost when I was in college. It, it seems that things have gone up. And so that starts to build some anxiety in me. And, and nobody's going to call me out and, and say, like, well, Jay, that is sinful for you to want your kids to go to college. That's not going to show up on anybody's radar. But I want to be, I want to keep an eye on that desire. I want to think about it because the enemy will capitalize on that. My, and, and whatever that thing is that you want or your desire, even if it seems like it's a good thing or a, a harmless thing, the enemy will take that opportunity and he will start to shift that and make you feel like your whole hope is in that happening. And then if that doesn't happen, then, then you are a failure. And that there is no hope at all if you don't accomplish that goal. And when that happens, you start to angle towards that end. You start to become obsessed with everything that meets that goal. And that goal becomes the, the main thing in your life. And you lose sight of the things that are really important. But God's word can take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I mean, you think about desires. The first thing that popped into my head is like, well, what about, what about a desire that seems good? How do, we, how do we identify what are the lies behind that that could lead you astray? Well, one of the clearest examples that I could think of in this is Jesus in the desert. So Jesus in the desert has gone 40 days without food. And he's human. He's fully human. So guess what? He's hungry. He's hungry. And the enemy comes in and says, hey, you're Jesus. You can turn this rock into bread. I can't think of too many desires that would be as understandable, as strong, as knowing I could turn this rock into bread and eat it. And if you're standing there, you would never, who would, who would blame Jesus in that moment for wanting to, is it wrong, is it sinful to want to eat bread when you're hungry? Of course not. That's not going to show up on anybody's radar as like, well, that's clearly something you need to confront and take captive. No, 
But Jesus knows the enemy. And he sees the lies that are behind that. And he resists that. He sees that Jesus is that Satan is trying to tell him, look, you're kind of on your own. Like God has abandoned you where you can take matters into your own hands. You have the power to turn this rock into bread. Sidebar, if you find yourself thinking something will satisfy you that you need to secure on your own because God doesn't seem to be delivering it, that is the enemy taking your thoughts captive with lies and making them obedient to him. That's just, a, that's just a quick one. Anything in your life that you say, I need this, and God, you don't seem to be taking care of this for me. I've prayed and I've asked you for this, but you've done nothing about it, so I'm just going to do it myself. That is a clear marker that it is the enemy who is deceiving you. So Jesus answers him and says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he makes every thought obedient to the will of God, all the way to the cross. So if you find yourself obsessing over that thing and the enemy starts to seep in and say, where's God? Why isn't he giving you this? Why isn't he giving you this job, this relationship, this situation? Why isn't he curing this illness? What, where is he? Is he really here? Is he really good? Does he really love you? Look, there's nothing wrong with you desiring that you would be healed from an illness. There's nothing wrong with praying for your spouse to come through a surgery okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But be on guard and don't let the enemy creep in there and start to make you question, okay, but what's going to happen if not? Is God still in control? Is he still good? Does he still love me? Take those thoughts captive. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I got to move on. Emotions. Keep an eye on your emotions. The other day, I, I um, oh goodness, I just forgot to ask permission from Silas to share this story. Silas, can I share the story I'm about to share? Awesome. Okay, thanks. So um, the that was the worst. I hope if any of you ever grow up and do ministry, you don't do that, but he'll be all right. Um, the other day, I, I walked out here and looked at the baseball field. And like a lot of you, I've dealt with a lot of grief over this whole thing with the pandemic. The pandemic has robbed uh, me of some things. And I know the pandemic has robbed many people of many things. Some really big things that we would all agree that is a really big deal. Some people are homeless now that weren't because they lost their jobs. And some people have gotten sick and, and died or, or had other life-altering situations. Like it's, it's robbed us. Of a lot of things. And when I went out here the other day, I just kind of walking around, I just look at this baseball field and I was struck by how one of the things that it took from me was the last opportunity I had to coach Silas. And it's so, it's such a little thing, but for me, it's a, it's, it's been a big thing. I love those kids. I've loved coaching them. And the, the pandemic robbed me of my last basketball tournament with them. And then it robbed me of an entire baseball season. So I just kind of walked around the field. Now, none of you, if I express that, none of you are going to stand there and be like, sinner, how dare you grieve over that? I think not. Maybe a couple of you might, but um, I would think not. And as I sat there and I grieved, but I, but I need to be on guard in those moments because I could easily go down a road of bitterness and frustration and anger 
even over something so small. But if I'm on guard and I say, okay, this is grief. And I know what I'm grieving over. And I start to ask the question, what is, it, what is it I'm really sad about? What am I missing out on? And then when the enemy starts to, to, to give me lies of like, you've, you've lost that moment, you will never get it back, and now there's nothing else there, then God's word starts to flood my mind of no mind you know, can conceive, no eye has seen, no ears hear what, what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. That there are always more, there's always more gifts and more mercies around the corner. And that there's nothing sinful in grieving over something that's been lost, but to then let the enemy turn that into, so therefore you can't trust God. Everything's so fragile. You better fight to protect everything that you have because what if you lose something else? And so that's going through my mind as I'm preparing for this sermon and I text Lauren and I just say, I'm, I'm sad. I'm grieving right now over the loss that I wasn't ready to be done coaching Silas. And then I went home and we got into a ridiculous argument. And I thought, well, that's why I don't want to coach you anyway, because you don't listen to anything I say. No, that's not what happened. Well, it kind of happened. But I, the, the thing is that I still could grieve over that. But God's word just flooding my heart saying, you're going to have so many more opportunities to love your kids and to love the people around you and to invest in them. It is a, it is a good thing. So keep an eye on those emotions. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. That passage is one of the clear ones with that. If you have sadness or grief over things you have lost, understand that God is doing that for you so that then he can comfort you and that you can turn and comfort others. Not so that you would go into a well and a spiral of bitterness and anger and resentment, but that those, so you would experience the comfort of God so that you can comfort others in the same way. Keep an eye on your circumstances. Keep an eye on the circumstances around you, like when unjust things happen to you. So it's not about emotions, not about overt sinful thoughts, but things just happen around you and to you. Keep an eye on those things. Be on guard in those situations. I look to Paul in this situation. When Paul is imprisoned, beaten, and threatened with death, he does this. He's on guard against these circumstances. The enemy wants to tell him that while, while you're in prison, Paul, no one else is sharing the gospel. Who else is going to advance the kingdom if you're not out there doing it? You're in, you're in prison right now. It is so unjust for you to be in prison. Where is God in all of this? That's what the enemy wants to lie to him about. But Paul's on guard. We know that Paul grieved over certain things. He grieved over the thorn in his flesh. He grieved over being imprisoned. He grieved over being separated from people he loved. But he was not consumed by it. It didn't spiral into bitterness. Instead, he allowed the Holy Spirit to confront those lies that God had abandoned him, that God was not going to be able to accomplish things without him. And what did it turn into? It turns into him worshiping God in a Philippian jail and an angel breaking him out and him seeing the, the jailer come to Christ. It leads to him in another place as he's sitting sitting in prison to writing four of the New Testament books while he's sitting under arrest. How does that happen? Every thought being made, taken captive and being made obedient to Christ, resisting the enemy when he tries to lure him astray with lies. 
Like, no one would say that it's sinful for Paul to not want to be in prison. Or if he were to say, I, I want to go, and, and, and he even says that in his letters, like, I, I wish I could be there with you. No one's going to call that out as overtly sinful, but he's also on guard. And he does not go into frustration or hopelessness or bitterness. Instead, he saw miracle after miracle and wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. Not to, not to mention seeing those he had discipled be raised up and do the work of the ministry that he had equipped them to do. I mean, if it's true in those situations, how much more in the small things that we could hardly classify as unjust? Do you look at the circumstances around you and believe that every single one of them is ordained by God and that you have an option in that moment to worship him and to turn to him or to believe the lies of the enemy and let it spiral you? I mean, I I struggle with this in all kinds of areas. I mean, one of them that it happens that to me is super painful is a long line at the grocery store. I hate it. How many of you are obsessed with finding the shortest line? Okay, you and me. All right, the seven of us are honest. Come on, everybody does that. Everybody looks at it and you're sizing everybody up and sizing up the carts and everything like that. And when I'm in those situations... I don't know if you've found this. If, if I become fixated on that long line and what it means for me, and if I'm not careful with that, if I'm not on guard in that circumstance, I can start becoming fixated on this. And I start thinking about all the other things I could be doing or want to be doing. And what happens when that happens? Like if, if you do that, if you're one of those people and you become fixated on the long line, how much do the people in front of you start to annoy you? Right? People who you had no problems with Five minutes ago, maybe even smile at them in the aisles or whatever. Now when they're in front of you in a line searching for a coupon, you start to lose it. And so all of a sudden, like for me, like violent thoughts come into my mind. I, like, I just want to grab seven cents and shove it in their hand and be like, here you go. Here's your seven cents. Get rid of the coupon and get out of here. But that's all I want to do because all I can think about is what I'm being kept from doing, how I'm being inhibited from living the life I want to live in that moment. And pretty soon I get, I get, I'm getting irritated with the person who's buying fresh produce because it has to be typed in. That's a true story. Actually, I'm actually irritated with this dude for like, how dare you feed your children? What are you, Mr. MasterChef? Like, just get some canned beans like the rest of us and get out. It's ridiculous. But that's what can happen when the enemy creeps in there. And what am I going to fight that with? Just stop being impatient. Just be patient. It's not going to work. But instead, I can start asking myself, what am I afraid of? What do I think I'm actually called to do? Get my task list done? No, I'm called in every moment to love God and love others. What is it that God has asked me of today? It's not to check this list off. It is to love him and to love others in every circumstance he puts me in. And those lies that the enemy is telling me about how I, how I live my life or what I'm supposed to accomplish, I can destroy with the word of God. It obliterates them. It, it leads me to giving thanks in all circumstances, to love him and love others, to be ready at all times to share the reason for the hope that is in me, to meet all trials with joy, knowing that it produces a steadfast faith. And so I take those thoughts and, and I make them captive and I let the Holy Spirit 
to, to, to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. And I start thinking about ways that I can now express love to the people that are in line in front of me. So that when that person who's fumbling with the coupon turns and gives the embarrassed look back, that they see a face of, of kindness and patience. So that, that when that, that checker, then the cashier, when I get up to them, that I can be slow and patient and not in a rush. Look, no one's going to call you out for your sinful behavior for not wanting to spend all day in a line at Walmart. But you can see how quickly those seemingly randomless, harmless, and understandable thoughts can be manipulated into sin. And finally, the culture. So we keep our eye on our emotions, our circumstances, but also the circumstances around us and the culture. See, the, the Paul was facing this issue that they were buying into these worlds and worldviews and philosophies and that they were pulling them away from Christ. And then people would start to feed into those and they'd start to agree with each other. And they got into these little echo chambers where it just seemed to make a lot of sense. You know, I don't know what Paul's motives are. That's a really good point. You know what? I don't know if we can really trust him in this. Like, who is he actually to tell us about this? Yeah, who is he to tell us how we're supposed to live? These are the conversations that were going on that Paul is fighting against. And we see it happening. We're to be on guard when we start to see those conversations around us happening. Be on guard with what comes out in us. We need to take the, the issues that the culture is facing and ask ourselves when we, when we see these things to be on guard and say, why do I feel this way? What is it that's going on in my mind right now? Is it biblical? And we could ask questions about how you feel about masks. All the way to the small things from that to big things like racial injustice. And I would ask you, how, how do you feel about those things? Is your thinking biblical? Are you, are you susceptible to the lies of the enemy in the way you think about those things? And if you respond with, of course my thinking's biblical, then frankly, it probably isn't. At best, with issues like that, we would say, as we wrestle through these things, saying, I, I think so. I'm, I'm trying to think through this biblically. I'm trying to be obedient to God. And I want, I'm trying to love him and love others well. Which would mean that you would be open to hearing from other people who think biblically about things and to truly understand those things. Let's take the masks thing. I told you it was coming. All right? I got I to gotta be honest right now. The masks, it's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. And I know that there are a lot of people on every side that feel like it's a really big deal. I'd ask the question, why? There are a lot of lies that are going around in our culture that are permeating the church. Lies that, that you, well, this is about your rights, about your personal freedom. I've said this before. I will say it again about all these things. You show me in scripture where it says that your focus should be to protect your rights and your personal freedom. I will have that conversation with you all day long. It doesn't say it. We are slaves to Christ. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. We are called to lay down our lives and to serve others and to seek the lower seat. This is the call of the Christian over and over and over again. And when things like this come up and we see these lies come in and be like, well, no, but what about your rights? That should be a red flag and say, wait a second. Like nobody's saying that I like to be told what to do. That's not an overtly sinful thing. Just be like, I don't like it when 
you know, if I come in the office and Robbie just starts bossing me around, like that's, I'm not loving that, but I just, I put up with it because he's Robbie, but you don't, nobody's saying that, but, but let's imagine a scenario. I'm just going to take the masks. I'm going to dig into this. Let's imagine a scenario where, where we find out the virus actually wasn't even a thing. Like, let's, let's just like go to all the way. To the it's just not even a thing. It's made up. Or that masks do absolutely nothing. That we find out in, in, in a year that turns out masks did nothing. Absolutely nothing to stop the spread. And that we were just being manipulated like puppets to, to have to wear them. What would I say in that moment? If I knew that to be true, what would I say right now? I'd say wear the mask. Just wear the mask. Why? Why would I say that? Because... My concern isn't how much it prevents or doesn't prevent or any of those things. And it in no way inhibits my worship of God or my ability to love others. In no way. You know what does inhibit our worship of God that nobody seems to be upset about? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take an opportunity here. There's been a lot of picking on police lately. It's a fair statement, right? So police have been, been sitting here being vilified quite a bit. Um, I feel like we've been ignoring firefighters. So I'm going to start picking on firefighters right now. I don't even see if I have my firefighters here. If I do, you can come up, you can, you can't do anything because I have a microphone. What are you going to you do? You're probably not even paying attention. You're like, what? I'm sorry. I was too busy saving damsels in distress and flexing. So, all right, here's the thing. Do you know what actually inhibits our worship of God as a church family? Fire codes. Fire codes inhibit our worship of God as a church family. We are not allowed by the government to meet as a whole church family inside that building. We're not allowed to. We have too many people. Now, we could physically fit everybody in there. Like, it'd be a little uncomfortable. But we could physically fit everybody in there. But because of fire codes, we aren't able to do that. Now, why isn't anybody upset about that? Because you'd say, well, fire codes are there for our safety. Okay. What are the odds? Like... I don't know for sure. I'm asking a question I don't know the answer to. In the 40 years this church has been in existence, how many times has the building burned down? Has there been a time? Okay, I don't think so. I think it's zero. So the odds are actually pretty astronomically low that there would be a fire in the one hour that we were all together in that building per week. It's pretty low. But we all just say, you know what? It's fine. Because it's, you know, you just never know, and those things can happen. You see, we constantly are doing this and living in ways that we that we just say, you know what? I, it's not the way I would choose. I wish we could pack that place out with 500 people. I think that would be awesome. Get Joe up there leading worship, 500 people packed in. Joe, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, we can't do it. Put your hand down. Can't do it. You walked right into that one, Joe. Come on. Like, look, you, we, we do those things and trust them because we say, look, this, it, we, we, we make compromises in that. We say, you know what, we're going to split into two services. And yeah, is that ideal? No. Would we like to all be together? Yes. But you know what, we're just going to do it. And we're just going to keep worshiping God and loving others. And this is the way we think it's best to do that. Our calling is to worship him and to love him. To lie, the enemy is trying to, the, he's trying to take us in, captive by saying, the most important thing you can do is be right about these things. Or to be comfortable. 
Like you might say, well, it makes it inconvenient, makes it uncomfortable to worship. Like if we, like right now, if we were inside this Sunday, we would be wearing masks. You might say, well, that's uncomfortable. Like, sorry. Talk to the, talk to the friends, you know, in, in the Himalayas who have to carry their paralyzed buddy on a several mile hike to get to church and then worship God in some kind of musty underground place about comfort and worship. That not only doesn't inhibit their worship, but they worship with power. We're just, we're tougher than that. The gospel makes us tougher than that. It makes us more resistant to those things. And we can demonstrate that in all circumstances. The word of God destroys that. We're not autonomous. It's not about our own rights. It's about belonging to Christ. Your body's not your own. Your mind is not your own. If you submit to Christ, you've been crucified with him. It is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. And by the way, unless you think that I'm picking all on the anti-mask people, the militantly pro-mask people, be on guard. Be on guard that you don't start to believe that if we just all did this thing, that human beings together are the cure for all that ails us. That if we just all agreed on these things, if we just educated people enough and we all agreed and thought the same way about the same things, then we'd be fine. Then there'd be no problems. There'd be no evil in the world. That's another lie that happens. That we believe if we just all conformed and we just all do the same thing, then we'd be, then we'd be fine. Because what does that produce? It produces anger and bitterness towards other people who don't agree. It introduces a sense of panic and fear as news story after news story cherry picks and finds truly sad stories, but then makes them believe that that is going to be you because this dude at Walmart didn't wear a mask. Those are lies. They're lies that the enemy wants to use. It produces anger and bitterness. I mean, look at how this spirals. If you believe that if human beings all just agreed with you and believed what you believe, then everything would be fine, then that'll lead to you thinking that if you can just eradicate this particular thought, if we can just rid our culture of this particular thought, then everything would be fine. And that will inevitably lead to, if we can just eradicate this particular group of people, then everything would be fine. And that has been repeated over and over and over through history. And guess what? The world's still broken. Because you and I are still in it. And the sin that erodes and fractures is in here. It's not by other people. It's in here. And if we as Christians don't ask the Holy Spirit to take these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, what hope does the world have? There's so many other things that this goes on to and applies to. But right now, church, I'm just going to keep calling us through these situations because I'll be honest with you, just in a moment, and this is probably where the online version of this may get cut off right here, and it'll just be a jump cut to communion. But I got to tell you, I've been grieved. I've been grieved lately to see how Christians so quickly 
make the argument about masks and not about displaying the gospel. To how quickly, especially the white American church has gotten so defensive. We just see these arguments and these defensive comments instead of just listening to people who are hurting. We just dismiss it all. I just would encourage you, ask yourself, be on guard. Don't just assume that because you've grown up in the church and that you've always tried to follow Jesus, that all of your thought patterns are biblical. They are not. Mine aren't. Yours aren't. Robbie's definitely aren't. Jeff's are closer. But the reality is that they're not, church. So here's what I would encourage you to do as you're praying this. Be on guard in those circumstances. When you feel those emotions come up, ask yourself these questions. God, why, why am I feeling this way? What am I afraid of? Why is this a response? Like, is this, is this something I see Christ doing? And if not, start to try to have the word of God take those thoughts captive. And pray that he would transform and renew your mind because he's the only one that can do it. And I would encourage you to, to talk to other people who are biblically minded people that you look at and you say, I know you love Jesus and I know you love the Bible. And so, but I know we have a different conclusion on this. Can we just have a conversation about that? And see what God does in the midst of that. I'm just going to keep banging that drum because the world is going to keep trying to divide us. The enemy is going to keep trying to get in there and say that what happens, who's in the White House, or how these things play out, that that is where our hope is. And we know it's not. We know it's not. And so we need to be unified in that. And what unifies us is the cross. What unifies us is what Jesus Christ did when he took sinful people. Remember that the early church was full of all kinds of people who believed all kinds of different things, who in any other circumstance wouldn't speak to each other and would hate each other. And they came together and they became family. And what did that? The blood of Jesus. Period. That whatever they believed, whatever party they were part of, whatever ethnicity they were part of, whatever thoughts they had, they came together and they said, all of that is so small compared to the blood of Christ. We are united under that. And so to symbolize that, that's why Jesus had them take communion. To unify them in this. To remember what he did on the cross. That's why they were called to take it together. is So that they could remember that we were bought with the blood of Christ. Not just you as an individual. Or you as an individual. Or you as an individual. Or me as an individual. But us. He formed for himself a people. Of different opinions. About all kinds of things. Some as small as what sports team you cheer for and some as big about how do we handle the big issues in the world but they're all secondary to the fact that we are united in Christ and that that transforms our minds and so we should find that as Christians we start to think about things in a similar way even if we don't arrive at the same conclusions and so I want us to do that this morning as we take communion is to be reminded of that, to bring our sin and confess it to God. And to pray, Lord, I know that there are sinful ways of thinking in me. I know, God, that there are deeply held beliefs in me and patterns of thought that are not in line with your word. And I know that because I'm broken, Father. But God, we come before you 
united as your people under the cross. And we claim that identity as your sons and daughters. And we take the communion that you offered that reminded us what, of what you have done for us, what you did to make us family, what you did to make us your own and to make us brothers and sisters. So God, please take all of those thoughts captive, those worldviews and philosophies that are actually against your word. Destroy them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Destroy them, God, and make every thought of mine, take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name.